hear about Microsoft buying Activision? Yeah. For $67 billion. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember how much Disney bought Lucasfilm for. It was $5 billion, I think. Yeah, wasn't it considerably less? It was considerably less. So why, why was it that much money, do you know? Because Activision's assets, it's so much. It's like all of Blizzard stuff, which is, I think, the biggest part. You've got. Like, is this the only way Blizzard could survive after all the crap that they've been through the past couple of years? The Me Too stuff? Maybe. But it's larger than that. It's Activision, I think, was under some heat as well. Oh, really? So Microsoft had said a few weeks ago, I think, Phil Spencer, I think, had said, we're going to take a look at our relationship with Activision or something, <laughs> which I guess just means we're going to buy them. It's a lot of money. I think this is a good thing outside of, you know, monopolies. I think, yeah, I think it'll be a good thing, too. Outside of not crossing Go and collecting $200. You know, I'm an Apple fan, but I haven't loved everything Apple has done the past five to six years. So I'm all for both Apple and Microsoft being alive and well. You know, I, I don't mind Microsoft getting larger and Apple also getting larger. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah, I think as far as corporations go, I'm I'm partial to uh, I mean like mega corporations. I'm partial to Microsoft compared to a lot of these guys. I I used to be an Xbox fan man, fanboy, fan fan, fan man. man. <laughs> and uh, I hear Game Pass is a great value. You get to stream all these titles for practically nothing. So maybe it's time to just be a console guy again. I've always loved consoles. I never have gotten into computer gaming. For me, for some reason, sitting at a computer and clicking a mouse does not feel like playing a game to me. Wow. It, <laughs> like, I want to sit in front of a TV with a controller in my hand and yeah. feel the magic that it's, I used to feel when I was playing original. As a kid? Yeah, Nintendo when I was like three or four years old. It is more comfortable. Uh, yeah. But just yeah, in the competitive world, it's like no question that anyone <laughs> will, will look at a console or a controller gamer and just kind of roll their eyes at you but i don't care yeah what do you got to do what's right for you one of my good friends was rolling his eyes at us for liking ghostbusters <gasps> so i'm used to having eyes rolled at you, me you are a man of many hot takes i am a man of many hot takes although i felt similarly on ghostbusters i'm blown away that people don't like that movie honestly i thought most people did like that movie it, well I, it I, was it was a little divisive Oh, was it? Because for people that are highly analytical, I think if they're not enjoying the movie, they could easily analyze it to death and say, why is this necessary? Why are we doing this? Why is this important? And at the end of the day, it's not. It's not important. It's a sequel to a movie that existed in the 80s, you know? I will say it did surprise me that I did enjoy it as much as I did because it had all of the hallmarks of something that I wouldn't enjoy. Sure. Like, it's. I think it's comparable to and what it was doing comparable to the sequel trilogy for star wars mm -hmm. which didn't work for me really very much at all <laughs> but ghostbusters uh, afterlife for some reason it just maybe because it was so stripped down yeah and ultimately it just didn't have the same scale i think as like star wars that it, i just it worked it didn't bother me that it was like mm -hmm. really just chock full of fan service and mm -hmm. cute moments i also wonder if you liked it as much because you were sitting next to me giggling the whole time 
I saw at least one. I saw Rise of Skywalker next to you, and it did not <laughs> sit well with me at all. I wasn't sitting directly next to you, but we were in the theater together. Oh, that's right. I forgot you and Bryce and Nick were there, huh? And all of us, or at least the th- I think the three of us, Bryce, Nick, and me, were not enthusiastic about it. But go- I don't know. I feel like if I had seen Ghostbusters Afterlife by myself or with other people, not you, I think I still would have enjoyed it as much as I did. Sure, sure. And I'm, tr- I'm still trying to figure out why that is, because it doesn't seem like something I would enjoy because it is like I think it's just a well-made movie you know what it felt like it felt it felt rich in it felt Spielbergian classic filmmaking style yeah that's true but that's also like true in places for other movies that tried to do what it did I think it just felt really authentic for me in the sense that the people behind making it really cared I think about like capturing Mm -hmm. that feeling well the people making it literally were there making the original as well so that's what's so awesome about it is it's not like it's not a remake that's like denny vianuv touching ridley scott's work from 30 years previous this is literally reitman family directing the original reitman family directing this one so what you're saying is we need George Lucas's son, Dave Filoni, to, to make the Star Wars movies. <laughs> With George Lucas whispering over his ear the whisper, whole time. Whisper, whisper. Um, speaking of large, beloved IPs, I watched the Harry Potter... <gasps> anniversary Anniversary, 20-year anniversary of the first film on HBO Max, and uh, it was really cute. A lot of people were saying that like it had all the feels and it left them crying. Mm-hmm. It did not leave me crying. I mean, I have been wanting to reread the books for a long time and then rewatch the films. I've been putting off rewatching the movies l- lately because I want to read the books again before I rewatch the movies. But I am reminded time and time again, and especially while watching this, how much I love those movies and how much they made an impact on me. Many millennials. And they have a home in my, my headspace, my mind palace. Yeah. That we're always talking about. My sister finally just worked through the whole thing a few weeks ago as well. Read them? Uh, No, watched them. Oh, okay. I told her she should read them. I haven't read them. I still think you should read them. I think you'd really like them. I would like to. In fact, if I had like a box set, which I might pick up because I would like to own it. My favorite book franchises, I like to. Yeah. I don't have many. There's a lot of different cool versions out now. There's actually a really cool re-illustrated version and they're still coming out. I think they're on book four or five but they have all new illustrations that it's sort of like a kid's book but it's still the harry potter story the same story like a picture book mm, or a graphic novel there's like really detailed illustrations throughout the book as you're reading it a lot a lot yeah that's cool very detailed illustrations but anyway i brought that up because there's a lot of harry potter alumni in the movie we're talking about today mm, nice segue yeah <laughs> smooth as butter <laughs> nope not at all. And what um, is that movie? The new Cohen Brother <laughs> film. Singular. On Apple TV and in theaters that came out on Christmas. The Tragedy mm-hmm. of Macbeth. This is a new adaptation. There have been many. Yes. Of the Shakespeare play of Macbeth. And might be the best one I've ever seen, personally. I missed the one with Fassbender from a few years ago. I've been wanting to watch that. I think that that movie is more of a film and less of a play. This adaptation... It's like a theater production. ...plays out like a theater production. It... Stage play, yeah. ...was all done on the soundstage with sets, and even the backdrops were all brought in in post with CG. and, And they're meant to look sort of like you'd be watching this on a stage... But it's also shot really well, like a film, mm-hmm. in the uh, either one to one or four by three format. 
in black and white. And uh, a ton of visual effects shots. Ton of visual effects. The most notable, I think, is toward the first act where you see the stars in the background. And they just mm-hmm. don't look like normal stars, but you still know that they're stars. Yeah. There's sort of that suspension of disbelief where you see the stars and you're like, oh, that okay, I get what they're doing. They're, they're kind of making it to look like a stage. It looks like a set that would be on a stage, you know? The cauldron scene was CGI with the water. Yeah, a lot of... The crows were CGI. Yeah, a lot of stuff was CG. And I think that this was probably a product of the coronavirus and the pandemic. Probably. Because Cohen brother... Joel Cohen, who directed this film, him and his brother Ethan have directed many beloved movies uh, as the Cohen brothers, most famously with Fargo and The Big Lebowski and so many. A Serious Man, No Country for Old Men, Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, yeah. And they recently did. Is it Hail Caesar was the last Hail one? Hail Caesar together. What's up with all these famous sibling director duos burn after reading splitting up i wonder if they're done do you know if ethan's just i don't know if they're done i have no idea about the inner workings in fact joel cohen didn't really publicly say much about this movie and all the behind the scenes i watched he was never on camera talking about it i watched that too the bts where everyone's like talking about joel and how amazing he is and and he's like (laughs) off in the distance like in the background joel was not in the video it's very hush hush but yeah, this was an adaptation of Macbeth, not a retelling. It follows the same story. And do you want to talk about the cast? Yeah, sure. Who's in it? And I'll tell you which ones are Harry Potter alumni, alumnus. I'm not 100% certain, but I think the first one to the bill, because she is married to Joel Cohen, yep. was Frances McDormand. Yes. As Lady Macbeth. She doesn't need an introduction <laughs> at this point. There was Denzel Washington as the titular. <laughs> I always have, a, have to pause and think about how to say that. The, the classic anti-hero himself, mm-hmm. Macbeth. And then just a stacked cast of amazing supporting actors. Mm-hmm. Alex Hassel was Ross, who we just saw in the unfortunate Cowboy Bebop live action adaptation. He was uh, vicious. Oh, I didn't know that. Bertie Carvel as Banquo. Amazing. Yeah. Brendan Gleeson was Duncan, the mm-hmm. late king. Harry Potter alumni. Oh, yeah. Corey Hawkins as Macduff. Harry Melling. From Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Malcolm. Miles Anderson as Lennox. Matt Helm as Donald Bain. Moses Ingram as Lady Macduff. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hunter. Incredible performance yeah. as the witches. Also from Harry Potter. And the old man. She played both the witches and the old man. I thought he looked familiar. Scott Subiono as one of the... I mean, I could just keep going down. But Stephen Root was in there as well. Has been popping up all over the place. Right now, I think he's most famous for being opposite Bill Hader and Barry, which will be coming back soon. Did you watch Barry? I did. I love Barry. I think it's one of the most fantastic shows. Really? Yeah. And I would recommend it to as many people as I could. I haven't watched it. That's probably the one show you've watched that I haven't watched. There's an episode. Apart from a couple of animes. An incredible surrealist episode in the second season, I think, that would make David Lynch smile, I think. Anyway, I think Ralph Ineson was in... Uh, Harry Potter too. He, uh, he's the f- the captain, a prolific A twenty four recurring cast member. Because this was, I don't know if we said yet, an A twenty four production. Yeah, I think it's the first of many future collaborations with A twenty four and Apple TV. Oh yeah, they inked out a deal. Yeah, and this is the first one. If that means more content, then I'm excited. But I hope that uh, 
we get widespread theatrical releases because we did not have a lot of theaters around us playing Macbeth. And I actually didn't even get to see it in theater. I think it's playing at some AMCs up north that I might try to go to because having seen this streaming, it absolutely lends itself to the big screen. And I really want to see that with a full-on sound system and a a big screen. I agree. I think it would be amazing. The sound design was really good. Yeah. So that's the cast. Yeah. Talk about the cinematographer. He was really cool. Bruno Del Bonnell was the cinematographer, and he shot inside Ewan Davis. Yeah. And credit to William Shakespeare for writing this one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Joel Cohen, I guess, quote unquote, wrote the screenplay, this version of it. Yeah. And hearing the producers talk about it, they were saying that they tried to make this version, this adaptation of Macbeth, to be as in plain English as possible while still being as true to the Shakespearean original words so that this audience can understand it in its fullness. And I also think that was the one thing I was going to say. The main point I was going to bring up was I think that this was the first time I've ever watched Macbeth or an adaptation of Macbeth and was able to understand the story as plainly as I was. So Mm -hmm. I think they succeeded in their intention to write this screenplay in that way. It was so well done. I was able to follow it and not be lost. It also moved so quickly. So by the time it gets to the hour, 45 minute mark or however long it was, I was like, oh man, it's over already. Like I, cause I was enjoying, you're enjoying every moment of it. And the movie is constantly escalating. It just keeps going up and up and up and up and crazier and crazier until the end when Denzel gets his head chopped off. Spoilers. Yeah, that is an interesting point that it is pretty accessible as far as Shakespearean adaptations go. And I think that's reflected in every aspect (laughs) of the film because while it is kind of like an artsy film, everything from like the sets to the performances, Mm -hmm. they're very grounded Mm -hmm. and it's not like a big melodrama. It feels very real, I guess. Mm -hmm. And also I'd never seen, I think, Americans, now that I think about it, I don't think I'd ever seen Americans portray uh, Shakespearean characters before, but Denzel right. and Francis McDormand really killed it as that these famous figures that just the whole thing revolves around. So it is a unique adaptation in that way. Yes. One of the biggest reasons I believe that I was able to follow the story so easily was because of the performances of both Denzel and Francis McDormand and how they delivered their lines. They came off as so natural and they weren't over the top, like pontificating out loud to an audience. It's like they really truly understood the language and the intention of that line that Shakespeare wrote that Joel Cohen then adapted Mm -hmm. and were able to deliver it in the way that it was intended. So that whether it was Macbeth talking to himself very briefly or rambling sort of like a madman or making fun of someone. Like I love that scene where that young white boy and he just kept making fun of him and calling him different names. That never ever landed on me before as a line that Macbeth now on the throne, full of pride, full of himself, feels that he can just put down these people. You know, he kept calling him pale face and stuff like that. Remember that? It was toward the end. Oh yeah. It it was it was the certain delivery of very specific lines, whether he was talking to himself, talking to others, the tiny inflections, the tone of voice, whether he was speaking to a spirit or ghost or what he thought was a spirit or ghost or a witch or to his wife. I've never seen it portrayed in this way to where I could understand the story based off of 
how the actors, the characters delivered the lines. Mm-hmm. The physicality. It. I mean, everything played into it, including the physicality. and But also, like, yeah, I think it was easier to understand where every line had an intention, you know? Yeah. And I believe that that's how Shakespeare wrote it, obviously. But I think that's why... I have been saying it's it's maybe the best adaptation of Macbeth that I've seen because I've never followed the story so simply before. I've always known what the story was about, but when you're when you're in high school and you're reading this play, everyone's reading it in just a, a monotone, <laughs> like you know, and they're trying to pronounce all these old English words, mm-hmm. and it just comes off as this very flat, blasé play that is actually about so much more it's full of depth and yeah in any adaptation i've seen even those actors in those portrayals of stage plays come off in a way that just falls really flat so i really believe that joel cohen captured the heart of what shakespeare was trying to do with this story yeah absolutely it's just a good movie even outside of shakespeare Mm -hmm. because shakespeare as source material like you said it's very layered the way he writes Every line has, it seems, two or three intentions and, and meanings behind them. Yeah. But Joel Cohen, obviously, is one of the premier directors of the 21st century. You know, he's like PTA. He's one of those guys that can just get a blank check, I, I feel. And he made a, what felt like just a good movie. Like, every, every aspect of it, from <laughs> the framing and the blocking and mm-hmm. the, what he was able to do on a soundstage is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I'm a sucker for these very, like, austere sets and hearing the cinematographer and the set, the production designer talk about those things in that BTS video was really interesting. And the feeling they were able to evoke, making it like uh, very abstract and dreamlike, played really well with me. For sure. And I can't even think of another version of Macbeth, honestly, that I've seen in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was happy to have forgotten most of the story beats since high school. Yeah. So it was basically like watching, some, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. All I knew was that Macbeth and Lady Macbeth have their tragic fall Mm -hmm. because it is fated. That is uh, how Shakespeare works. I've always gotten Macbeth confused with Hamlet. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was half expecting Lady Macbeth to go crazy because I think in Hamlet, his wife also goes crazy and I think ends up killing someone or killing herself or something. There are reoccurring themes. Yeah. In Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. But in this, you know, that scene, I believe Francis McDormand will get nominated for this performance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. And Uh, just, just to say they all are because Francis and Denzel were surrounded by such talent. I'm pretty sure like everyone on that set was a classically trained actor and Denzel had done Shakespeare before Francis, I think had done Shakespeare before. So yeah, he's classically trained. I don't even really entirely know what that means. <laughs> I just... Oh, it just means that they went to acting school. Mm-hmm. Some actors never go to acting school. So it means they went to acting school specifically with the intention of not just acting in film, but acting in theater. That's what classically trained means. So we're not classically trained filmmakers because we didn't go to a, f- a dedicated film school. We did, actually. I guess, yeah. Anyway, so that's what classically trained means for an actor is that they're they're trained to be theater actors and deliver those kinds of performances. And that's why the the lady that the casting director, I think it was, or the, or the producer, I can't remember, said that there's like a short list in Hollywood for actors that are classically trained. Willem Dafoe is a classically trained. Willem Dafoe would have been awesome in this role, to be honest. Oh, he totally would have. Another black and white A24, just <laughs> Willem Dafoe in there. But Well, another massive A24 win for me. 
Yeah. I'm really glad that Joel Cohen decided to do this. I'd yeah. be curious to hear from him himself. Yeah. And I hope he does something like this again. I really don't think that this will be the end of the Cohen brothers. I just think that this is something that Ethan didn't want to do along with Joel. Mm-hmm. You know, I really do think that this movie was a product of the pandemic. You know, like he would get, getting a few ones. actors in a soundstage and doing an art film based off of a Shakespeare play. That sounds like an easy win. You know, it's something to do during the pandemic instead of. Time. Yeah, instead of going in, out on the location and masks and stuff. So, yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about it. So now that we're here, we've said multiple times that we think that this would take a spot in our top 10 of the year. We already did our retrospective. So does it, Gabe? Does it take a spot in your top 10? Heck yeah. Heckin' yes, it does. Heck yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I want to call this like my third or fourth favorite film, honestly, because it, it's, for me, it hit all the right notes. It had that creepy surrealism that i adore right now at this point in my life like oh my god all the scenes with the witch especially the first one where she's coming out of the sand i was like this is perfect this is perfect yeah uh especially for what it was as a shakespeare so she's such a good actress that woman i could watch just her ramble into the wind she plays the squib in order of the phoenix oh really yeah she uh I i said she's another harry potter alumni she she is this like frail looking woman that appears in the street after the dementors attack Harry and out on the bridge at home like in England not it's like in the beginning of the movie and then when Harry has to go to the Ministry of Magic to go on trial and Dumbledore shows up they bring her in to testify oh. and that's that same woman I need to rewatch this <laughs> Anyway, so it's, it's in your top four or three. Yeah, I, I loved it. It's been a good time for period pieces for me between this and the Arthurian Green Knight and like Ghostbusters. Is that a period piece? I <laughs> yeah, Dune's it's, a period it's, it's piece. now. <laughs> right, right, right. Now's a period <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. I don't think about that a lot, but you're right. One day we'll look back and think that was a great period of time. <laughs> It's definitely not a period piece, though, because it's made now about now. It's not like made now about back then, you know. What if they made it now and then didn't show it for 20 years? Tick, tick, boom is a period piece. Yeah, I love that. Power of the Dog keeps picking up awards. I know. It's going to win Best Picture. I told you. Awards momentum, Gabe. Awards momentum. (laughs) Yeah. It's good for you when you want your film to win, but (laughs) apparently awards momentum means nothing when it's my film. (laughs) All right. All right. It's so funny every time I see that film mentioned online, and there's there's always some guy at the top of the comments who's like, I just don't get it. This film just didn't work for me. (laughs) It was so dull. (laughs) Well, for me, I think it definitely goes into my top 10. Um, I slid number number eight, which was Ghostbusters, down to number nine, and I put Macbeth at number eight, and I kicked out Blue Bayou. So for me, it's... Number one, Dune. Two, Power of the Dog. Three, Spider-Man. Four, Green Knight. Five, Nightmare Alley. Six, Come On, Come On. Seven, Tick, Tick, Boom. Eight, Macbeth. Nine, Ghostbusters. And ten is still in Kanto. And I think that will officially wrap up yeah. 2021. Yeah. Moving forward. We'll and be- now we, we got all this new stuff coming out. So much crazy content is being released. Streaming and new films are already being anticipated this year. Yeah. Hopefully be a good year i think we need a good like a really good year (laughs) like you said a lot of the good filmmakers that brought us stuff in 2019 are putting out films this year yes do you know dune 
everything on this? I've heard about it. Dune comes out next year, dude. Well, you can part only hope. Part two. After the year delay for the last one, I'm just, I'm not like trying to. It'll happen. Yeah, I hope so. I'm excited. I, I can't wait for that and for Denny's next one, which I don't know if we've mentioned on the podcast yet, but maybe it'd be fun to mention. After Dune part two, he'll be making, uh, reportedly, Rendezvous with Rama, which is another uh, Arthur C. Clarke story, the guy who wrote 2001 uh, originally. The book? Yeah. So that'll be cool. We get some more spaceships. I love when Denny makes a spaceship for me, <laughs> even though we don't spend a whole lot of time in them inside of Dune. Rendezvous with Rama, I think we will. We spend a lot of time with them inside of Arrival. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting that he we never went inside a ship in Dune. The more I think about it, I'm just like... Because in, in well, Lynch's tech- Dune, we spend m- several minutes in the ship, and there's some pretty interesting stuff, interiors in there. Anyway, tangents. Yeah, it's all maybe... Make me a ship, Denny. Denny, show me the inside of a ship. Show me your ship. I'd like to see your ship. I'd like you to show <laughs> me... The ship that you make for me. I'm sure we could scrounge up. I, I don't know who did the score for this new Macbeth, but there's some amazing sound design and some music in that film that we can play here. Well, that was that's Macbeth. That's Macbeth. And this is Gabe calling out. Saying, we, should, we should play like a, an excerpt from The Witch here and be like, By the pricking of my thumb, <laughs> something wicked this way comes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.